millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello there, you're very welcome to Monday's Second Captain's Podcast, Murph, and warm greetings to you both. And a hello very you. warm hello to you. There's been a little bit of an obsession recently with winning streaks, I'm sure you've noticed this, or at least unbeaten streaks in yeah. the last few weeks. England winning 18 games before they were eventually taken down in Lansdowne Road. The Dublin footballers, they extended their unbeaten record to 35 games on Saturday night. Surely deserving of a fair view at some stage, John. Oh, at some stage. Ken usually saves his fair views for the championship. He's a championship man. <laughs> once he wants to see the hard ground, you know. That's what he's all about. All very impressive for the consistency and resilience required to perform week after week like these teams have been doing. But there's more than one way, Ken, to strive for greatness in sport. And the awfully hurlers may just have stumbled across a brand new formula. So what have they done now? Well, they got hammered in their opening league, camp, uh, league, league game, I should say, by Galway. Expectation management? Very much so, yeah. Six goals, 23 points they conceded that day. They continued to manage those expectations right through the league campaign, losing their subsequent three games. Until a narrow win against Kerry yesterday was enough to qualify them for the quarterfinals where they were preparing to plot the downfall of the Ireland champions tip. Yes, Ken, you're looking confused. I'm confused. That's why we're going to turn to Murph here to explain how the hell a team with four defeats from five and a points difference of minus 39 finds itself qualifying for the next stage of a competition. I don't know what you're talking about, Owen. They're on a streak now. They're, they're right in the middle of a hot streak. The hottest streak that they've been on all year, in fact. Well, that is true, yeah. Uh, so so they're not on a streak, though. I mean, you need to, you no, need no, to do two things in a row for it to qualify as a streak. Well, hold on a second. I mean, when you go back to the start of England's winning streak, you don't start in the middle of the streak. If, let's talk, talk me through England's 18-game winning streak. You don't start in, like, their 10th game and no, say the streak it, began. No, but you certainly didn't call it a streak after one game. You no. call, well, the earliest you can possibly begin, yourself, to, begin to talk about it as a streak is if there's, there are two games that have had the same outcome. Well, what about if you've got a really, really good feeling, like I have about the Offaly Hurlers as they face them to Tipperary next week? Mm. I mean, the streak is about to continue, is what I'm trying to tell you. So, uh, uh, Division 1 of the Hurling League is divided in two. Division 1A, Division 1B. And uh, there are only six teams in both divisions. And the thinking behind this is, play less games, but then have games tacked on to the end so it's like they play seven games. So it jazzes up the knockout stages. That's basically it. So there's like quarterfinal stages in the hurling league, which it seems a little extreme, quite frankly. But uh, to make up these quarterfinals, the top four from Division 1A go through, which is maybe to be expected. The bottom two in Division 1A play a relegation playoff, the loser of which goes down to 1B. And then the top four teams in 1B also go through to the quarterfinals. Okay, so the quarterfinals are made up of the top four in each of the two divisions. Or in two Division 1A division. and Division 1B. So not only have Offaly had a pretty poor season so far, they've had that pretty poor season in, in the, the, the lower division. Essentially the second division and now they're into the quarterfinals. Against so they've, they've finished 10th, basically. Yeah. So they've finished 10th out of 12 teams in the two top divisions. And yet there they are playing the All-Ireland Champions. Listen, Owen, I'm not saying it's a perfect system. In fact, no one is saying it's a perfect system. But that is the system we have. Michael Dagdon has been, I know he's one of your favourite voices on Hurling Murph and his role as co-commentator in particular. Mm. And uh, he's going to pop my in mother the show today. My mother also. I mean, She's a Dagdon she, man. Oh. Every time She's Michael, a Dagdon woman, I should say. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> every time Michael Dagdon is on TV, 
I can I can hear her thinking very complimentary thoughts. About <laughs> she doesn't even have to say them at her company. He he says something, and Mam is just. It's kind of a wordless thing, but I know that she's agreeing <laughs> wholeheartedly with everything he's But it's because she's not having a pop as she does at all the other pundits. That's what it is. She, normally, she's frothing at the mouth at every other. But so when she's not saying something, when Francis oh. isn't saying, isn't giving out, then it's yeah. a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, yes, her, yeah. her silence I, is... Yeah, we're we're there. We're also going to be catching up with one of our favourite guests from 2016. Do you remember Christina McMahon, Ireland's first professional women's boxer. She came in to chat ahead of Katie Taylor's professional debut. Her own story, which she told us that day in November, was incredible. Some amazing high points, like becoming a sort of celebrity in Zambia when she fought a local girl there. But she also faced a load of hardship and has faced it. A horrible experience in New York where some really invasive pre-flight medical testing messed her up. She had a world title fight planned for Dublin. That was cancelled just before she came into us. But she did actually fight for a world title a while back in Mexico. She seemed to be the victim of... Think of all the dirty tricks you hear about fights in difficult places to go and fight and she seemed to be the victim of them no drug testing some sort of deep heat or tiger bomb smeared on her opponent's glove and everything really uh, seemed to happen there and eventually she was robbed of the decision but Christina was a boxer who ended up getting punished for that she was banned by the WBC after she had a go at them publicly I broke the code of ethics and I spoke out and the day I spoke out was the day I watched Michael Conlon in the Olympics and I cried solid tears watching him and it wasn't just for Michael being honest even though it was tough I cried because the first time I broke down about my fight and that's when you spoke out after yeah. that you saw yeah. what happened to Conlon I stayed thought, strong until Michael me. I could see physically what the referee was doing after the first round of Michael Conlon's fight I knew he's been robbed and I knew it very clearly um, I knew it was a set up plan and I didn't even know the background information I just could see it physically and the reason I could see it is because I knew what had happened to me and it brought back a serious amount of um, hardship and I cried solid tears during that fight and I wasn't the better of it for two days Christina McMahon back in November with a huge reaction to that interview the two that interview I should say Christina was really good in the challenges of her own career and on what was going to await Katie Taylor so we're going to hear what she's made of Katie's impact so far after a fourth win in a row on Saturday night we had a great time I must say well I certainly did Kieran. I'll speak for myself recording our late night post-match podcast here on Friday night no no we all had we all had fun on it was nice to, we all partied it was nice to be with you from very early on Friday working right, right through, through. <laughs> to the midnight it's always it was a nice way to spend it's it it's like Friday. a 19 hour uh, relationship between ourselves and our listeners which is always good on we reviewed not only the game but the conflict in the post-match analysis too there was no elbowing when I played football and when Liam played football uh, <laughs> <laughs> well I didn't think there was Liam I never saw an elbow I never got an elbow in the face all the time I played it's a new foul that's because you're fighting for the Wood the use of the elbow that's someone to play perfected against. by some that's someone to play against Andy Gray who was a no elbows there was no elbows wow what an absolute load of bollocks that was. Um, <laughs> seriously, come on. You stand by that comment today again on Monday? I wish I'd phrased that more elegantly. Well, how would I you didn't, I also it? didn't realise that my laughter was was coming out. on the, <laughs> I assumed that tape was playing. I didn't realise No, that. because we were speaking over the tape as it was going. Oh, okay. I thought the tape... Oh, Possibly okay. should have run that one by it. But you were at the stadium. It's hard to dot all the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I was a bit surprised. I mean, come on. We all know that that um, football was a lot more violent back in the day. You know, there wasn't as much transparency as there is now in the form of 24 cameras, you know, recording in slow motion HD, which made it a lot easier to get away with things. You know, you'd hear a sudden roar from one corner of the crowd and you'd wonder what's happened there. <laughs> <laughs> and someone is lying bloodied and senseless on the ground and you can you can kind of put two and two together, but it's difficult to find. Could a, have been a bird. You, you know, know you, you'll never know. Yeah, we'll who, never know. Can, can can whoever did this please own up, you know? And uh, and, and it used to happen. I mean, it's, it is interesting that he said, uh, I mean, he said I was never elbowed. I suppose Eamon was a midfield player um, and elbowing is the kind of thing that happens usually between strikers and central defenders, because it's something that you do to someone who's behind you. And it's usually something a striker does to a defender, really. You know what I mean? It's, it's, that's the kind of classic... I mean, who do you think of the great exponents of elbowing? Alan Shearer, Andy Gray, as, as uh, Liam Brady Alex Ferguson, there. allegedly. Ferguson. Nobody has seen enough of him, but he certainly had a reputation. Ferguson, for was, proud of, Ferguson was proud of it. Yeah. Ferguson would, would brag about so it. So it's strikers, mostly, as opposed to burly defenders. Um, yeah, well, I mean, because, okay, there's, there's no need for a defender so much to elbow a striker, first of all. I mean, if you're, just imagine you're standing behind a guy. It's difficult to elbow someone <laughs> you're standing behind. What you can do is rake your studs down as Achilles. Oh, and boy, did they do that. They did plenty of that. Um, but uh, how does a striker 
you know, defend himself against someone who's standing behind him. I mean, that that would be the usual way. So it is possible that that uh, when Eamon Dunphy said that, that he was telling the truth. He he was elbowed by Con Hoolan. Really? Hmm. He was elbowed by Con Hoolan in the press room at Lansdowne Road when uh, Ireland were losing to Denmark. He 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 tells this story in his in his book, The Rocky Road. He was elbowed by Con Hoolan. Con Hoolan elbowed him. Yeah. So so uh, so Dunphy was. Uh, he didn't he was, elbow him in print with some visceral. No, he elbowed pros. him with his elbow he elbowed into him the face. Physically, <laughs> with the, an elbow to the face. Um, Dunphy. It, it was Ireland were losing to Denmark, and I can't remember what the score was at half time, but you know they were losing anyway. And I th- was was it Owen Hand's last game, or it was definitely the uh, sort of yeah, I think so. the dying days of the Owen Hand regime? Uh, and Dunphy, I think, was against Owen Hand. Had been for some time, and the decent skins were were, were, were for Owen Hand because you know Owen Hand was a nice guy, and you know. Can we all just get along? But Duffy had higher principles than that. He was, you know, he thought this wasn't selling Irish football short. I, mean, I think Con Hoolan was one of those who was with the, who was in the own hand camp. So at some point, I think it's half time in my recollection of the story, as appears in his book, is basically they're in the, they're going to, going to get some tea in the little press room, and uh, Con, Dunphy sees Con Hoolan and shouts out something like, "Oh, great football, Con! This is great football. We're all we're loving the football tonight, Con." You must be so proud. <laughs> so something along those lines, you know, some some little comment. And Con Hoolan looks at him, stares at him balefully, and as he's walking past, elbows him in the face. Jesus, elbows him full in the face. And Dunphy thinks, you know, he looks at Con Hoolan, who's a big man, and decides not to take it any further, um, because you know it, it would just have turned into an ugly scene, really, wouldn't it? A melee. In the in the press room, so he he let that one go. But of course, he retired. He, he'd retired seven or eight years by then. Maybe that was when it was coming into the game, <laughs> brought in by the likes of Andy Gray and, and Con Hoolan and George Best and and basically everybody who ever played football. Alex Ferguson, <laughs> the Alex early nineteen sixties. Yeah. Yeah. That Friday night show was part of our world service. You can get on to secondcaptains.com if you'd like to become a member and listen to that one and all the other pods waiting for you there. Just before Katie Taylor's professional debut last November, we got an insight, a uh, brilliant insight into the world of women's pro boxing by Christina McMahon. A lot of you were blown away by her positive attitude, it's fair to say, in the face of quite a lot of adversity in her own career. Katie is now four wins and four, and I'm delighted to welcome Christina McMahon back to the show. Christina, good to chat to you again. Uh, Thank you very much. Thank you. When we last spoke, it was not long. It was only a few days after you had your your own world title fight cancelled. And you were um, you, you mentioned how dismayed you were by uh, what, by what had happened there. How have things gone for you since then? The last few months. Well, they always say something happens for a reason. Um, something that happened to me very shortly after that is I have an underactive thyroid, and I was quite sick, and I had been quite sick around that time and after it. Um, well recovered now. I'm back training very hard, and hopefully something um, some news very shortly. Okay, so you hadn't realised that you had the underactive thyroid. That was only diagnosed around that time. Um, no, I have it uh, since my early 20s. Um, I suffered with hypothyroidism disease. So um, it's just something that came against me all over Christmas. And cheekers, I think, it was my blessings that the fight didn't go ahead. You, you don't think you would have been able to give, a, a, I guess, a full account of yourself. But the way you're talking, there is something else in the, there's something in the pipeline, maybe? Oh, there definitely is something in the pipeline and um, I'll definitely be back on to seconds captains very shortly. Um, <laughs> there's a few things happening at the minute. Um, I'm, not, I'm, I'm quiet at the moment, okay. but I'm, I'm trying to put in the groundwork at the background and training away now at the moment. We're more than happy for you to hang on until everything's done and dusted and you can, you can tell us all about it then. So we look forward to that. What have you made of Katie so far? Four wins from four. What have you made of her impact? Well, how exciting for Ireland, isn't it? Um, it's great for women's boxing. It's putting it out there on the map. And uh, it's just fantastic for her as a person. And, um, I mean, she lives uh, for this sport. And it's it's the only thing that she she wants out of life at the moment. And um, thank God it's going in the right direction. The sort of stages she's been fighting on, and she's going to be uh, up against Joshua. She's up against Joshua. She's going to be on the Joshua Klitschko undercard uh, next at the end of April. So she's been fighting regularly and fighting on these massive stages. Uh, the boxing has obviously has been such a well for by and large, it's been such an all male macho environment. Even when you watch it now, they still have the ring card girls and all this kind of nonsense. For a female boxer like Katie to be playing such a prominent role on these big cards that otherwise are featuring male fighters have have you been impressed by how she's pierced through that a little bit 
I think it's a difficult role for her because she has a lot, an awful lot to kind of represent um, as a boxer and I suppose as a woman. And I think she's playing the role very well. However, I don't think it has changed much. Um, you only have to key in her her name to find out that there is still an awful lot of critics out there, especially men. Um, the Irish don't pull her apart, but everyone outside Ireland has pulled her apart. Um, I think that she's in a... Um, I suppose she's in a very pressurized situation. Now, when I do say that, I don't think this bothers Katie Taylor. Um, I think she's the personality to do that. Um, I think she lives very much on her own and alone and in that bubble. And therefore, she's the right person for this job. Um, whereas I think if it was myself or some of the other girls, I think I, I would take a lot of the stuff personal. And I'm not sure if I'd be cut out for that. Um, I love the sport and I like doing it in the background. But I think her personality um, suits the situation she's in. And I definitely believe um, she's making a difference out there on the big shows. Um, she she certainly um, within the... I suppose the fan base around her, which would be Eddie O'Hearn's people and um, the males that would have trained her in the past. But for the people, I just watched it myself because I'm very interested as a woman to see what the world thinks. And we're still not there yet. No matter whether she's four fights or she hasn't four fights, women's boxing is certainly not close to where it needs to go. What's the sort of criticism you're talking about, even the tone of the criticism that you've been the reading? Tone, the tone is like, well, who is she fighting? And, you know, um, she's been pushed on these Eddie O'Hearn um, shows. She hasn't hit America yet. She hasn't hit the big times yet. She hasn't hit the girls who um, have the strength behind them yet. They're just very critical in general, um, whereas they're, they're forgetting that she has to start somewhere and you can't just go to the top without getting your rounds in. Um, just very, very critical in general and they really putting women down that there, there's no depth in it and that if that's what she's up against well then no wonder women are winning what they're winning you know so it's kind of um, you know they're trying to compare her to men um, if they had four fights at this stage you know the standard would be a lot better and it's that type of stuff that's out there Is, is there not an element of truth to that in the sense that we're watching the, the, this these big nights on Sky and all the commentators are working for Sky and she's being promoted by them. So yeah. we're obviously being fed a lot of hype and maybe the, the critics are, are wary of that, that we don't fall into the idea of Katie getting hyped up more than, uh, you know, to, to a point beyond where she actually is. I personally think that's the danger zone. I don't think it'll bother Katie Taylor. Um, but little things like Eddie Ahern um, saying at his press conference that other women are fakes and they're only the copies, but that she's the real deal would be something that other women around the country won't be following. Um, you're putting off women as well as men. You you need to do this very humbly and very, um, I suppose, take each step at a time, but don't disrespect other women. Nicola Adams is turning pro now, um, you know, the Olympian. Um, there's a few other English boxers turning pro and at the end of the day Katie Taylor is fighting in England representing Ireland and uh, we need English and Irish fans to be really getting behind this girl to put it out there on the map before she hits South America um, South America don't give a hoot who we are whether we're Christina McMahon Katie Taylor or anyone else so it's very important that the words that our promoter are using are very important because if women don't get behind Katie Taylor then nobody's going to be behind Katie Taylor So you're a little wary of some of the promotion you don't think it's all been totally slick and totally uh, uh, correct certainly not I'm right. not behind the promotion at all I'm totally behind Katie Taylor and her talent and her skill and I have no doubts that she will go to the very top she eats sleeps trains this sport and she will definitely go to the top she's a humble humble person herself but I would not be fond of her promotional team and what they're saying around the around the fights even though they've gotten her all these massive cards and she's going to be fighting in front of 90,000 supporters well, at Wembley next up well, we're not silly. She's on these cards because they're already sold out. Um, it doesn't cost Eddie Hearn any money to put her on England. It would have cost him to put him on, her on in um, New York. Um, it costs money to go on them shows and you have to sell tickets over there. So I question why was she not on the American show? Um, and then why uh, use the word that people threw out their, their tacklers? She, she was no um, threat to Michael Conlon at any stage, nor is any woman a, a threat to Michael Conlon. Michael Conlon was doing his game in his own right for his own reasons and um, then Andy Lee got onto the same show as Katie Taylor so therefore people are not stupid in the boxing world um, we're, we're not going to fall for that hype and that rubbish if she um, could sell the tickets in America at that time she would have been on that show it's all about money it is completely about money
because there have been that had been the the argument that Michael Collins promoters didn't want yeah. Katie involved. That's certainly what I was out there at the time. I don't believe for two seconds. No way. I said to myself on the, the the exact night that there's no way there's too many Irish on that show. If uh, you can sell the tickets and um, pay the money to be on the show, you'd be on the show. Andy Lee was entered on the show two days later. So that just answered my my question. So you'd much rather her fighting in America, fighting fights, rather than just fighting these big British fi- fights all the time? Well, I think that it, I think she had to do the English fights at the moment uh, to get to, I suppose, would you call it preparation and warming up and testing the ground. She's now testing the ground. She's now got into the top 10 in box rank. Um, now is the next step. And so it was safe to keep her on the English shows at the moment. But in about two or three more fights, she needs to be out there. And that's where it's going to get very exciting for us women. At the After the fight, she was talking about how there, there's still this question about whether or not she has the power for the professional game to knock fighters out. She's obviously she was taking the distance by Milena Kaleva at the weekend. And she made the point, look, it's kind of hard to stop people when there's only two minute rounds. And her coach, Ross Anime, said the same. He, he thinks it's a nonsense that the rounds aren't three minutes long. Supposedly, according to one of the reports I read, her team are going to go to the British Boxing Board of Control and try to call for three minute rounds for women boxers. Is that something that do you understand where they're coming from there, that it, it's uh, difficult to adapt it to, to, sorry, to only fight the two-minute rounds in the professional game? Well, I looked at her opponent um, that she's fighting, and the French girl that would have fought in the amateurs with Katie Taylor knocked this girl out on two-minute rounds. So <laughs> you, you can't fool people who are in the sport. Um, three minutes might be good. Three minutes would certainly suit me because I'm an endurance fighter. Um, whether it's two or whether it's three, the job has to be done. Um, I don't believe over um, it, whether it's two minutes or three minutes was the difference of a knockout. I believe it's the amount of rounds and how fit somebody is. And let's be honest about all boxing. We're all trained. Um, it's very hard to knock anyone out. And if you keep going for the knockout, you're going to miss your opportunities. So I would be, if I was her advisor, I'd be saying, concentrate on your skill and, and concentrate on getting better defence. And um, the knockout will come natural then. Maybe you're looking for it too much. Have you noticed any major differences between her style as a professional compared to how she was as an amateur? Oh, yeah, certainly. She's starting to sit down on her punches and she's certainly hitting harder than she did in the amateurs game. And every fight she's getting better all the time. Um, I'd like to see her defence a little bit better because I think she's getting tagged very easy and she's getting tagged with girls who have no power. So I'd be worried about the girl who has power. Um, I think she's very open on her right side to get hit. And um, in the boxing world, our defence is very, very important. It only takes one shot, so is no it, matter how good you are. Yeah, because uh, the, watching her now and the way she's been so dominant in, in the fights up to now, you get the sense that she could just walk to a world title if she was to fight tomorrow. Would you be maybe worried that that's not the case, that she is still a little bit away from it? Um, it's very hard to know, and I, I don't like to predict. Um, I don't think it's as easy sailing as they're saying, because I'm looking at the opponents and who they fought, and um, you only have to look at the standard who they fought. Um, she's fighting that lightweight, which I know is, um, it's easier to get ranked in the higher weights than it is in the lower weights as well. She hasn't actually fought her own weight yet. Um, which is a very interesting thing to me. But having said that, you can't get the world title bouts unless you get into the top 10 in the world. So I can see what the get the promotion team are doing. They're um, they're gaining points. Where Katie Taylor got um, into the top 10 in a fourth fight, I got into the top 10 in my fifth fight, and that was where my career started. So her career has really started from this weekend, but it was more a sensible um, way of going, where get somebody that's credible, not brilliant, but has high points. Yeah, it's interesting because you told us when we talked to you last that one of the challenges that she was going to face was that sometimes the better a boxer you are, the harder it can be for you as a professional, I guess, because it's hard to match up with the right fighters and and get the right fights at the right times. That's true. Um, It's more so when you start making your name as being uh, in the top 10 and when you start becoming challengers, um, it becomes a little bit more threatening um, and harder to get the fighters to come forward. But um, I I don't think she'll have a problem at the moment going forward because everybody wants the hype. And at the end of the day, she's with the right promotion team from a money point of view. So they'll pay the way for her to get the right fights. Give enough money, we'll all fight. Yeah, so it sounds like, <laughs> it sounds like, Christina, that you feel she's doing her end of the bargain while there are some, some weaknesses. She's she's adapting quite well to the game. They're getting her on big cards. But I'm just trying to get to the kernel of, of the issue you have in the way that she's promoted that maybe 
it's not doing as much for women's boxing as it should be. Is that it? Well, I suppose it's very disappointing when you hear Eddie Hearn telling everybody that there's no other boxer out there like her. Um, I, I definitely disbelieve that. I think she's a, she's a sensational what she does, but um, I could name five boxers that are sensational what they do. As a woman, if we want to be on the shows, we need good, good shows. We need um, good competitive fights on those shows. And we need to, um, I suppose... Not show weakness, but really not uh, disrespect other boxers out yeah. there. And I didn't acknowledge that they're there. I think that Katie Taylor is um, gaining momentum for Katie Taylor. That's what I think. I, I don't know if it's doing much for women from talking to people on the ground who um, you can imagine everybody wants to talk about what did I think, you know, on the ground floor. When I ask people what to think, they're not watching the fight. They're not interested anymore because they don't feel that she's doing anything for women at all at the moment because, um, it, as I said, her promoter just doesn't acknowledge anybody else out there. Um, and I suppose, you know, is it doing anything for women? I, I haven't seen it yet. Um, I think somebody wrote an article there recently, I think it's very well done, the 2012 Olympics. The fact that they're all turning pro will probably do a lot for the pro sport. Um, but we need to promote them all to make this sport. We are a minority against men in this sport and we need them all. And we need them all having good fights and doing well and speaking well um, about each other uh, to make this a very, very strong situation in the world of boxing. But nobody knows the other girls, I guess, would be the point, Christina. No, mm. Oh, possibly. But Nick Adams is well known in England. So sure. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the, the Shield is very well known in America. So you can't really say that either. You yeah. know, but they're all promoting themselves and, and we're not hearing much about America, just like you're saying, but they're not hearing much about Katie Taylor either. So I, I'm not sure what momentum we need to lift, but I suppose I think the change will be when she moves out of England. Maybe, maybe the home show would be the starting point to that or when she hit American waters. And I'm very excited to see her getting to the American waters and, and starting to put Ireland on the map over there. Great. OK, well, listen, we'll watch with interest, Christina. Great to catch up with you. Thanks so much for talking today. Thank you. Thank you. I knew the place. Clough, as he calls me Ravi, didn't know them. He said to me, what can you do that the boss hasn't done? You the boss. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. But there's no way to win it better. Why not? Only, no, 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 no. But that's the only hope we're, we're, I've got. We're doing, we're doing lots for much. And then, but that, well, I can only love three. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. Calls me Ravi. Good luck. Now that might that might be you know aiming for utopia, and it might be might mean being a little bit stupid, but that is the way I am. I'm a little bit stupid regarding this type of thing. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. Well, there you go. Really strong stuff from Christina McMahon there. Up until now, the main criticism around the, like Katie Taylor's obviously won four fights in four, and she's done very well. Uh, technically the only issue maybe is she isn't stopping she, in two of the four fights she hasn't stopped her opponent but the main criticism around her career seems to be the quality of her opponents and the idea is the same with male boxers as well that there's too much hype around what they do we saw with Michael Conlon as well there's obviously like he's fought one fight against a very mediocre opponent and he did the job no problem so you do get that across across both codes or across both parts, uh, both male and female boxing. What I was more interested in there, and I ha- hadn't thought of it until now, I had assumed there wasn't any question over the impact she's making or that she's highlighting women's boxing in a positive way. Christina doesn't actually seem to feel that that's the case. In the way she's being bigged up, the promotion around her actually, according to Christina, is damaging the sport. As she said, it's, it's great for Katie, not for women's boxing, which is an interesting yeah, way of looking at it. at the expense of women's boxing as opposed to... Bring it along with her, which is what yeah. which is what we assumed was going to happen when she took, and she she obviously is fighting on these great cards and all that kind of thing. But it's not as simple as that, uh, says Christina. Second happens football podcast is going to be out this afternoon. That's yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd say it to you, face, not say it to you now. I'm down Swanfield and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you're showing me, man. 
Well, Owen, uh, we will. I was out today to see Martin O'Neill in uh, Abbottstown talking about the forthcoming mega game against Iceland tomorrow. Actually, unfortunately, a lot of the Icelandic stars have pulled out of the game. No Sigurdsson, no Sigurdsson, no Barnison. Uh, no Sigurdsson. No. No. So, the big lad, Sigurdsson. <laughs> so, uh, however, it is, it is as ever an invaluable opportunity to survey the options available to Martin O'Neill. Uh, Martin O'Neill, I can reveal, Owen, was remaining tight-lipped about <laughs> which of those options he may Ooh. select. Imagine which no, nobody has that much of an interest to begin with is not being drummed up any further by any Martin O'Neill-led hype. Well, look, this, this Ireland team doesn't need to be sold anymore. You know, Martin O'Neill doesn't need to get out there with his banjo and do his, do his song and dance. Down the sandwich act. board, walk no. down Grafton he, Street. He doesn't need to do that. The team has, has already won back the hearts of the people. Allegria de Povo. That's what we call this team now. The joy of the people. Uh, Allegria. Allegria de Povo. So people are just going to turn up in their droves. Anyway, it doesn't matter who we're playing. It doesn't even matter. We could play, be playing against show. nobody. The show is the Ireland team. Or even Oman. Oman. Well, Oman with the tomorrow. exception of Oman. If it was Oman, the, the place would probably be full-ish <laughs> if it was Oman. If it was just the Ireland team doing an open training session, walking around, waving to the stand, I think that, that you would probably get a pretty decent crowd. That's the way this team is these days. Mm. That's the, that is the central role that they now play in Irish life. Would it be going so far as to call them the heartbeat of the race? I think it would. All right, for the first time on the Second Captain's Podcast, delighted to welcome Michael Dignan to the studio. Michael, how are you? I'm very good, thanks. Thanks good. very much for popping into us, first I'm of all. Delighted, Joe. Uh, I think we've... Well, you've probably seen the league evolve quite a lot from your your own playing days. You moved into punditry and commentary and that sort of thing. Does it feel like it's a lot more important now to these players to get to quarterfinals and semifinals? Uh, I think probably because of the preparation. You know, if you the championship, if depending on how you go in the championship, you might only get a couple of matches. So I think you know those league matches do take on more significance. And I think the competitiveness, particularly Division One A, where you have only six teams in, so they're big matches uh, against the top teams every week. So you know. It's, it's, I suppose it's a bit of a bugbear in mind how few m- matches players are getting per training session or whatever with the amount of training they're doing twice a day and ten times a week and whatever mm-hmm. and then they're playing five or six or seven matches in the year and huge gaps between matches but look there for another day but yeah I don't know if it's more important I think any time you went out in the county jersey even back in our day you know there was a certain responsibility and um, there was an enjoyment in it there was a competitive edge to it you know there was the will to win if you were play, no matter who you were playing if you were playing a tip or a Kilkenny or a Galway or a Cork you wanted to pitch yourself against the best so I think that that hasn't changed but certainly I, th- I do think with the level of preparation with the amount of training lads are doing that chance to get out and play then you know is, is big so um, yeah I think some great matches during the league Yeah it's it's weird because uh, say in the 90s it would have been sort of three games before Christmas and then four afterwards and as a result it was spread out to the extent that it you know it it games kind of melted into each other and you know not a whole lot of heed was paid to it now the games are played whatever it is five games I think in the last seven weeks or eight weeks and it's kind of hothoused the whole thing to the extent that maybe the motivation isn't even coming from internally from the group what it actually is is you don't want to be beaten you know by a Kilkenny or by a Tipperary or by Cork when it's maybe only two or three months from you meeting them in the championship like do you think that the motivation for that the importance that the league uh, that that's placed on the league comes from within a team or from that kind of external thing where God we can't be seen to be losing three or four games you know a month or two before yeah, the championship I, begins. I, I think it comes from every. I think the pressure all round. You know, um, we saw Derek McGrath last week again coming out talking about the pressure of management and taking you know packing in not packing in his job but taking a leave of absence and and you hear about players doing the same thing and like, it is it's very very intense for amateur sports like it's, you talked about the matches before Christmas like that was our downtime really like the matches were big but we had great there were social occasions as well after the matches you were having a few pints you were meeting the supporters um, if you are in Borough after a match there was a great buzz afterwards and you know it was it was it was, it was huge and very enjoyable um, and yet the matches were tough and whatever but it's, it's changed obviously so much now so um, I think that five matches in seven weeks uh, is huge like how how important the league really is at the end of the day, I'm still not sure. You know, like it, it goes up and down. I think every year at this time we say the same thing. Or after seeing maybe big crowds, big matches, huge intensity, uh, but do people really remember who wins the league at the end of the day? You know, so I think it's how you use the league 
to prepare your team? Do you, can you get the chance to blood players? You know, if you win a match or two, the pressure comes off a little bit. Can you throw in a few lads? And you, you see Tipperary during the league, they're bringing in a lot of players only starting with six and seven of their first 15 in certain matches. So it depends on your position, I think. If you're not going well, if you see the likes of um, Wexford, for example, who've been in Division 1B since 2011, obviously for them to get out of there now is a huge relief and that's in itself is probably the biggest achievement David Fitzgerald will have this year with Wexford you know no matter what else happens that's massive and that's from a county board point of view from a resources point of view crowds of matches you know money coming in sponsors all that type of thing I think is maybe what you're talking about the outside influences are huge players still probably just go out to play at the end of the day Yeah it's funny because you can also not be going well and still make it to the quarterfinals as we've seen with this weird anomaly and this has been a big bugbear at the competition at the moment I don't know if Offaly's presence now in the quarterfinal is the death knell for this structure as it is but to be able to lose all your games until the last game have a minus 39 points difference in the lower division essentially and then get this plum draw of a quarter-final against Tipperary just seems kind of bizarre. Well, we're, we're always very economical enough. See, this was going to come up, but I suppose if you look at it the other way, there was four teams going to qualify from each league with the structure that was there. It just happens to be that there was three teams and two points with one win each, and awfully, like, it's, it mightn't happen again. You know, it, it, there will be calls for now, but I think sometimes you need jerk reactions. Like, I think it's good for the teams, not just because I'm from Offaly. If it was if it was Kerry this morning, we'd probably be saying, Jesus, isn't it brilliant for Kerry that they're playing temporarily in Semple Stadium or whatever? It's a great day for Hurling. Yeah, we wouldn't have much of a say about the fact that they only won the one game. Yeah, well, like, you know, I think there is a, an element to that, or or if it was, you know, it just happens to be the way it worked out, and awfully, like, it is unusual to win. You see, Clare haven't won two matches in Division 1A and they're gone. But that's the competition that people, you know, it, it's also unusual that you could enter a different competition and end up winning the main one like if you're in Division 1B you could win the National League we actually did it the only league we ever won in Offaly was 1991 and we won it out of Division 2 at the time Right. we we got to a quarter final it was the same thing and of course being us then we went on and won it um, we, we bet uh, bet Waterford in the quarter final Wexford in the, or Tip in the semi-final and Wexford in the final they were all Division uh, 1 teams at the time Yeah. and uh, so I don't know if Offaly are going to do it this time around but I think that's just the way it worked out but if you think about it in the bigger picture uh, with the way the divisions are now and I know there's a call to bring it back to eight teams I wouldn't I think it's very good the way it is because you have a couple of strong teams still in Division 1B so for your emerging teams your leashes your offlies or whoever's going to be if it's um, you know Kerry whoever you're playing in Limerick Agalra Wexford this year maybe a slight level below the very top teams but you're getting good matches um, whereas if you put the top eight in the division there's a big gap then and teams are only playing each other to, at, at, at a, a very very secondary level so I think there's a nice balance there you know, awfully okay, are very, very lucky to get through. It probably won't work out great for them next Sunday, so they'll probably pay the price. You know, it's going to, you know, they'll be facing a, a probably a heavy defeat next week. That, that's the other issue is, is it going to do them any good at all in this case to get out of there when they have to play tip and will presumably be beaten heavily? Yeah, it, look, that's the other side of it. But I suppose, look, if you're trying to make progress, you'd prefer to be playing tip than playing. Nobody you know, playing a relegation playoff. But that's the way I'd look at it anyway. Oh, yeah. And uh, and and in fairness, awfully they got hammered by Galway in the first. Round and then they came back and had reasonably competitive displays against Limerick and like it's bad when you're saying you're happy to be competitive with Limerick and and Wexford but you know it is it's a huge learning curve it's a very young team there's nine or ten under twenty ones on the panel so I think good game against Tipperary why not yeah and it's kind of a free shot as well um yesterday's uh, the game that was tele- televised uh, on TG Gary yesterday was Clare and Waterford and I'd be interested to hear what you thought of it because I thought it was um like a, a brilliant game and it was one of those where you're watching it having, knowing the full time score thinking how the hell are, have Waterford won this game for about 65 minutes yeah. and then uh, in the last uh, sort of 5 or 8 minutes they, they pull away um, but I mean it, wa- it was it was very different well I thought it was brilliant and I also thought it's such a different game to Tipperary Kilkenny in Semple Stadium two weeks ago but for all that I, I didn't get as, as much enjoyment out of it but I got nearly as much enjoyment out of the game yesterday as I did out of Kilkenny and Tip two weeks ago yeah well you're more of a football man are you <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't I, that is I, a deep I, bird I, no, uh, no I, I, I tell you I know where you're coming from and in the modern game uh, physicality intensity uh, passion you know f- f- massive effort and work rate um, you know and and certain aspects of the game very intriguing and I agree with you on one thing how Waterford wouldn't they look to be losing all up but to me you know there was an awful lot of aimless hurling when it from a hurling point of view like i i sometimes say if top coaches top 
and, and then I'm looking at the game that they're playing and where you have Podge Collins say in the first half brought Watford or Clare back into the game they were one three to no score down he scored a goal brilliant goal a couple of great points and then he spent probably 40 minutes back in his own half back line now that's fine if we, we, we praised TJ Reid last night uh, Owen Kelly did on, the, on League Sunday for going back and foraging but yet he's getting forward and getting on the end of things as well so it's that balance but I suppose look it takes all sorts to make a hurling match I just felt at times there was 10-11 players within 30 yards of the ball of, from both teams and then they were poking the ball into the full forward and there's no one in there and I think the difference between Tipperary and Kilkenny have, Kilkenny have played in 16 of the last 19 All-Ireland Finals they always have three men in the full forward line Tipperary's last year the biggest thing last year that changed them was John McGrath they could poke the ball in high they could poke it in low Seamus Callan and Bubbles were there as well but he was the main difference so find how you play but you need to keep goal, you need to keep scores close to the goals and even Kilkenny yesterday would not I know I'm moving away from that game but Conor Martin scored 1-5 Liam Blanchard scored 1-2 massive return from the full forward and the, the problem with the Clares and Waterford's playing the way they're playing is um, that you're trying to win freeze your, your lads getting isolated with no support inside on both teams now you did see in the end um, like Tom Devine came on and made a big presence physical and they, it, it opened up a little bit but it was intriguing game for different things and I thought I don't know if you if, if, if noticed it but I think Clare had a 100% puck out uh, W- yeah. win rate for about 90% of the game until about 10 minutes ago every single puck out went to hand now that's obviously Don Logue's massive influence that's brilliant but I showed you know last night a few examples of her the ball was just wasted then after that so but yet it's maybe a, a sign of the way they want to play uh, they want to keep possession the running game that those under 21 managers brought which was which if you look at the, that under 21 team that Clare had the great team they did play that pass in short possession game which when it's played right is brilliant but they always had shape in their forward and they always had three men inside so I think there's probably a little bit of a there's tweaking that can be done I yeah. think so between the senior management and, and maybe Don Logue having a different, slightly different perspective like you have three coaches there with maybe different views and it's mm-hmm. to marry that together yeah yeah that's that's very interesting but if you were if you were Waterford manager and you didn't have John McGrath and you know you didn't have these brilliant forwards that Kilkenny well Tip in particular and Kilkenny uh, maybe less so I mean is that not what you'd do you know is that would you not try and sort of level the playing field a bit by ensuring that, right, okay, maybe we don't have guys like John McGrath who can win their own ball, turn and put it over the bar. If if the game doesn't come as simple yeah. to you, then is it not on you then to to say, right, well, we can try and win it a different way? Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. There obviously is. You have to be. And I think Waterford over the first couple of years under Derek McGrath, I would have fully appreciated that, that they had got a couple of fierce hammerings along the way. Um, that Munster final against Tip along court, seven goals. Like that, He couldn't go in and allow that to happen again and leave the back line exposed. But I think he has developed a much more much stronger, more physical, mobile back line now that you're, at some stage you're going to have to put your faith in. If you want to win, like if you want to be, end up being beaten by a point or two, these teams will still beat you if you want to play that way. And I wouldn't agree about the Waterford forwards now. I think they have serious forwards. Like they're, they're young, but the two Bennett's, Patrick Horn, you know, is Austin Gleeson going to be up there? Like he was back around centre, but where was he yesterday? Like, and he's a great hurler, but he was kind of on the periphery of the game, a bit like Tony Kelly for Clare. Mm. Like, I'd have Tony, Tony Kelly centre forward where he can dictate up front and score four or five or six points from play. Austin Gleeson can do the same. So, put, you know, if you don't have a shape in your half forward line, if you don't have a scoring threat in full forward line, you won't win all Ireland. You might compete well, and is that what you want to do rather than getting the ha- So, do you want to get. So, my view would be I'd prefer to go out and hurl and get beaten that way rather yeah. than get beaten playing negative hurling. No, and I, I, I accept the point completely. And I think, actually, as you as the point you make as well, is that Watford have added goals this year. You know, there were, only Tipperary got more goals than them in Division 1 this year. And I think that's that's the key then. Like, And as you say, the difference in three points, the difference between losing by a point and winning these games by by you know by yeah. a point or two that's you know you have to go for it in the way that you're discussing and and maybe down the line maybe later this summer as we saw in the two semi-finals last year that's what we'll see from Waterford because yeah. you know the Bennett's are playing well I think really so well. yeah, yeah, yeah like you start with Jamie Barron and, and whoever midfield and then you have, you have maybe Parik Mahoney Austin Gleeson maybe Brick you know he's still a ball winner he's still very very effective and then you have the two Bennett's Patrick Hunter likes them inside like, that's a serious mobile young forward line with a great free taker there as well that I think will stand up and then if if teams want to go sweeper against them well then it's about developing the play out the field and I just think if, you, if you're going to play like that you have to develop your play out the field short pass over the bar I, I just thought Clare yesterday when they did create that space at times they were slow to shoot they were still trying to pick out the man inside in the full forward line so I don't know can you play both those ways I think you either move the ball fast to the full forward line or you create the extra man out the field and you pop it over from 60, yeah. 70 yards. You can't do both. Yeah, it's funny because Waterford and Clare are the two teams that we've been watching over the last couple of years kind of decrying it, saying, you know, 
like you know, if we if you could just tweak a couple of things, the game suddenly opens up a lot more than we've seen maybe in, particularly in the Munster Championship. Actually, the last couple of years the Munster Championship hasn't really been that entertaining. But in the last say even six months, we've seen Aaron Shanahan come on for Clare. Uh, the lads we've already discussed from Waterford, they're actually producing the players that they need to change the game enough to make them really, really competitive. And that's what I think the key thing maybe that we've learned from the league for both those two teams. Yeah, and I'm just not so You know, the Clare backline, I'm not sure if they're as developed as the Waterford backline. I think the Waterford backline now, you know, fives and, and tied the work. And I, like, I just feel the Waterford are confused when they play the extra man. They don't know who's marking who. Even though they have an extra man back there, there's still loads of space. And I think Clare produced that. Like, Clare really should have been six, seven, eight points ahead there yesterday with, with the room they created, but they weren't shooting. So I just think, I saw it last year with Tipperary and Waterford in the Munster Championship as well. Ty De Burke was back there, but he was neither the sweeper or an extra man. And it creates confusion sometimes. Unless you're very, very clear about what you're doing, you you're tend to end up in no man's land. And the good teams will, will cop that and, they'll, and, and the tips and Kilkenny's will, will do you. I wanted to ask you, Michael, as well, about Wexford. We just mentioned them earlier on. This has <coughs> obviously been great for them and everyone's watching with interest with David yeah. Fitzgerald there. Now they have Kilkenny, which is a funny draw for them to have given that they're likely to play each other in the championship. And this is another one of the anomalies of the league at this stage. Particularly with a manager like David Fitzgerald, who again is quite obsessed with systems and definitely does employ fairly definitive tactics, would you expect him to keep his powder dry to maybe accept that it's not the worst thing to lose to Kilkenny at this stage, or might he be looking for a psychological statement uh, and go and beat Kilkenny? And suddenly, it's a good question. Yeah. It's a difficult one. Like knowing Davy, he's so competitive, he'd probably find it hard to take the foot <laughs> off the pedal. But uh, it is an interesting one because if he has something up his sleeve, to, like he can't show it now, you no. know. And uh, um, but as you say, he does. He, Look, Wexford, I think the last couple of matches they've probably eased up a little bit against Leash and Offaly. They haven't been as impressive. But the big games that they had to win against Galway and Limerick was very, very impressive. Like He's made a massive difference psychologically already. Whatever, but the hurlers are the same. And Wexford have a lot of good hurlers. But um, it's just the buzz. And uh, you know, and that's something, whether you agree with the way teams under David Fitz play or not, but everywhere he goes, he brings huge excitement. Like it happened in Watford, one day I learned him with Clare. And, you know... Uh, I would have been one, I suppose, over the years would have clashed with Davey over, over the way he plays and tactics. And, you know, we'd often have a fairly frank discussion when we meet up about how things are. <laughs> how things are. But I, I do... I, You're I, not the only name on that list. No, so no, I, no. But I know, actually, as time goes on, the two of us are mellow and we're getting on much better. <laughs> but uh, it's um, but that's one thing I, I have to say. It's just amazing the way, like, to see 7,000 people at a league match in Wexford and where they were gone to... Because they are... This is not a cliche, and it's not trying to... But they are a, a fairly unique set of supporters. Like, the, You know, any bit of shoot at all green light you know a bit of a, a bit of a positivity and to really buy into it and are, are they that much more excitable than other fans because you do hear that about Wexford hurling sport I think so yeah like even uh, Davy was training Clare and went down in Wexford bet them in the was it a qualifier or whatever quarter, and, and the replay like, yeah yeah the replay and I was, I was yeah. working at that and like they were, they were playing the out over the radio the, the purple and gold was blaring the crowd <laughs> Everybody was on the field, like no, nobody left, and there was a, just it was like winning all Ireland. Like I, the buzz you get from it, and they are very passionate. But he's brought that back, and now, and I suppose you have likes of Jack Guiney is back. Everyone is in there. Everyone wants to be in there, and see that's a huge part of management. And you know, when you're from a county like Offaly, you know, who's not going so well, and other counties, players ah, sometimes don't go in and don't want to go in. But to have that. I suppose ability as a manager to bring everybody with you is a huge thing because then you have your best players and then you can start working on everything else but if you're down six or seven players before you start like maybe Dublin are as well at the moment or down a few lads that aren't playing for whatever reason it does bring its difficulties so I think look whatever happens on the day I've, I saw Wexford a couple of times in the flesh I think they are improving but I think Kilkenny just seem to have really really look to be getting their mojo back they look to be enjoying their hurling again a few new lads have come in there as well and they're making a difference and uh, I think Kilkenny will be too strong at this stage and I suppose if he has something up his sleeve he'd keep it till the summer Yeah, probably tactically keep it under mm. keep it up his sleeve emotionally they should be at a pretty good pitch so we'll, we'll see what happens you would have thought playing Kilkenny Listen, So will Brian Cody be at a good pitch Yeah, uh, uh, as always yeah. <laughs> Michael Tyden, great to have you in studio thanks so much Cheers lads Modern day coaching What is it all about? Paralysis by analysis Infiltrated by a load of spoofers and bluffers Fellas with earpieces stuck in their ears Psychologists, Clyde Woodward Statisticians, dietitians And as Mick O'Connell alluded to God save us Just before we leave this Murph The draw has been made for the quarterfinals Well for the venues I should say For the venues, yes So uh, all three uh, There were three coin tosses Offaly, Galway and Cork Won those uh, coin tosses So all three of those have Home games. These coin tosses are they not televised? Why wasn't I watching this today? 
This well, sounds like pure sporting theatre. I know. Well, it, it takes them an hour and a half to do the championship draw in October mm-hmm. for the following year's championship. So let's not... I think we're, we, we've, we've, we've seen enough GA draws for one year. <laughs> All three of those uh, are now part of uh, an extremely attractive doubleheader in those three counties. Offaly, Pierce Stadium and Salt Hill holds... holds uh, yeah, so it's Galway Kildare to decide who wins Division 2 and if Galway win they get promoted along with Kildare uh, so that's going to be a very tasty double header but listen it's worked out brilliantly for the GA fixture makers there happens to be football big football games in each of those venues and all three there's also big hurling games so yeah, really, big crowds all around that's, it's a delight on. that's a delight the coin toss has worked out well Simon we probably shouldn't let the big rugby news slip by before we wrap things up here Donica Ryan one of the heroes against England is on his way he's leaving Munster for Racing Metro yeah, well, these are reports first uh, revealed by the Examiner on Saturday and then backed up by a few other uh, publications today. Um, it's yet to be fully confirmed, and we see these things being released before and then not actually happen. Um, but uh, 33 years of age, Dunnika Ryan, maybe Ireland's best forward through the Six Nations consistently throughout, having his best ever season at 33. He's a second rower. So we know they have greater longevity. There's loads of examples of that, uh, Nathan Hines and others. Um, but a two-year deal, so 300 grand a year to Racing Metro, Ron O'Gara's Racing Metro. And um, it's a situation where his age has been cited, we think, by the IRFU, yet to be confirmed. So which is what it is, is the, supposedly the IRFU have, haven't offered him a central contract. So he would have been getting a contract yeah. from Munster only. Oh, yeah, Munster. That's obviously considerably less. Munster obviously desperate to keep him. Um, a brilliant player, a brilliant leader. Uh, so there are a few, again, citing age. He's 33. He's almost exactly the same age as Jamie Heaslip, who's had his contract extended till late in 2019. Mm-hmm. We're talking about second row position where Ireland have... I'd say the least depth of any position. Uh, it's the end of his international career. So we're talking about maybe our best forward in the last competition, the Six Nations, ending his international career because he's not given a central contract um, and his age being cited. And we know, you just know by the look of him, he's had his best ever season. If you look at his career graph, then he has another couple of years at that standard ahead of him at least. Well, if age is an issue as well, and th- these are the reports that, mm. a- that age is the issue, I don't know that the IRFU have confirmed anything as we speak, no. but this is what's certainly what's being reported. It would seem to me bizarre because... Well, there'd be no other reason besides age. But age is, it's not like football, it's not, okay, clubs sometimes have policies in the Premier League where they don't buy anyone over the age of whatever because mm. that's a business decision. They want a sell-on value of those guys. That doesn't matter in this case. All you need is, you're, you're saying, can we get another two years out of this guy, whatever it might be, Obviously, you can't for the, all the reasons you've outlined. Mm. There's no pro- there's no problem with this guy playing two more years. He doesn't have a bad injury yeah. or anything like that. And if it is this blanket rule that you have across all positions that 33 is the age you don't give somebody a two year contract anymore, then that's absolute nonsense as well. As as we've seen with Nathan Hines at Leinster, they also cited that on age. Mike Ross was playing for like playing for, playing for Ireland for a long time. Mm. I don't, I don't know what age exactly. Yeah, uh, he's, but anyway, it just seems still, like still playing for Leinster. But yeah. the other point about this is. You're losing. This is, he's a great guy on and off the pitch. We've interviewed him a good few times. Uh, I've met him a few times at these Irish press conferences. Um, you've seen his attitude on the pitch, and he's such a nice fella, but a leader off the pitch as well. Um, we watched a documentary recently on the four days in November, and it shows him in the New Zealand game in Chicago on the bench at that stage, going absolutely nuts. He's just a he's charismatic mm-hmm. and funny and open and he's a little bit different actually as a rugby player uh, comes from a different background in Tipperary as well not your typical rugby background so just will be a huge loss to Munster in Ireland and a bizarre decision to lose as I say maybe your best forward in the position in where we've the least depth thanks Simon thanks Owen thanks Ken thank you Owen thanks Murph thanks Owen thanks Ken thank thanks, thanks for Simon. listening thank you, have thank a listen to the football podcast today if you get a chance Is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.